She lives in New York City, but we're so happy to have her in Los Angeles. Please welcome Eileen Miles. Hi, this is so great. This is crazy. What are you guys doing? So I have these books and a condom, a book condom here to protect them from them. I think I know everybody in the room, so that's, <laughs> so that's nice. So I'm going to read, um, I'm gonna read um, half of a story from Chelsea Girls first, and then I'm going to read a bunch of poems. keep pretending I'm going to like time the reading. I don't know what that's all about, but it, be- it begins. Hmm. And um, this series is called Bread and Water, and it's like the oldest story in the book. And my friend David Rattray said that should be the name of the book, but I didn't go that way. Because it's totally about a certain kind of um, dyke punk poverty in East Village in, in 1979, where I, I lived with this girlfriend, and we wanted to make, um, everybody was making movies in the East Village at that time. We wanted to make movies. But we were so fucked up, there was no way in the world we could make movies. So we talked about it all the time, and we were waiting for a grant that I was supposed to get. I was like... So whenever I meet somebody who says they're waiting for a grant, and I'm like, oh, been there. So this is about halfway in. And also, I think at some point, um, she decided, I guess the, gir- the girlfriend's name is Chris, but somehow she became Merchard. It seemed more like the French movie they wanted to be in. <laughs> Yesterday was the day we waited and waited, and the mailman never came. I guess they know I'm not an artist. The phone company called, and they said we'd be turned off on Monday. I put on a gray hooded smock and penciled some whiskers and a mustache on my face and curled up on the bed. Every time Mershard spoke and elicited a response, I felt pained. The sound of my own voice broke my haze each time. The phone rang, and a woman told me to come and take a test Monday for a job. I looked at myself in the mirror and washed my face and started thinking. Richard and I threw ourselves down on the bed and raised our arms in the air, harmonizing our animal sounds, directing them to the goddess's ears. I realized I could get our $10 deposit on the giant black RCA we really wanted. We bombed down to St. Mark's Place, and I showed the guy my slip and asked for our $10 back. He tried to throw us out of the store. Five people have tried to buy that TV, but I was saving it for you, so you can't get your money back. Get out of here. I pleaded, tried to reason, called him a bastard, and he awkwardly called me a bastard back. Somehow only males are called bastards. He was a large black guy who was really getting fed up. Get out of my store, now. No. I want my money back. I jumped in anger in this weird characteristic way I've had since a child. I look like an angry frog. You can jump your ass off, but you're not going to get your money back. You've got to give it to me. We're hungry. We won't have any dinner tonight. Nothing. You've got, you've got the store with all these TVs. You don't need my $10. You're just doing it for spite. I didn't do it on purpose to you. I'd rather have that TV. I love that TV. But tonight I'm so broke I can't eat. Every time he said get out, I said no. I've never used this tactic before. Finally, he peeled a wrinkly 10 off a, wa- a small wad of bills. Here, now get out. 
I was so worked up as we headed down St. Mark's Place. Rashad was patting me on the back, and we turned into the deli on First Ave, on Sixth Ave, and bought two six-packs of two-war golden bottles and a pack of Marlboros. We felt so much better drinking and smoking and seeing a future. And then the buzzer rang, and it was Tim, and we gave him a beer, and the three of us looked at the cameras. Actually, they are about to make a film now. And the three of us looked at the cameras in the film and the way this apartment is laid out and wondered what kind of movie we were going to make. By 9 o'clock, we had finished filming, and Christine had blood all over her shirt, and thousands of beer bottles sat on the table, and cigarette butts and wires and lights were looping in and out of everything. The scene with the hand going towards the phone, and then the cleaver and the squirt of blood was great. When I fell back from being stabbed, I think, and really hit Tim's nose, so both of us looked pretty pained, and Murchard thought it shot well. We were gleaming and pleased, but no cigarettes were left, so we went out into the rain and bought some and headed to the St. Mark's Bar and Grill to show Tim what a great place it was, but it was a drag. I called Tom and Richard to borrow money, but they weren't home. We thought it over for a while. Chris came back from the bathroom, excited that it was quarter of 11, and Alice's workshop would be out and all drinking at El Centro. Tim was looking for pills, and Chris and I just wanted somebody to buy us drinks. The place was empty. So was the Ukrainian place. Actually, it was packed, but with wrong people. We wound up standing inside the Fifth Street Deli trying to think of someone to call. And we had one idea, but no one had the nerve to call her. I asked Tim for a dollar and went to the deli and bought a box of Lorna Dunes. They made us sick, and we decided to spend the rest of the weekend starving, not smoking, not drinking, and taking advantage of our situation by cleaning out. She fell asleep pretty quickly. I started to, but as I started falling, heard her voice go, Eileen, are you in there? It scared the shit out of me. I was either out of my body or Chris was talking to me from inside her dream. I touched her to, re- her to reassure us and she barely woke and I told her I had a nightmare and she put her arm around me and fell back to sleep. I felt safer now so I could explore the situation. Every time I closed my eyes, lights started flashing, colors were reeling, and I could almost pick, make pictures out of them. One window was too bright, and the closed one was full of ominous shadows. I felt like I was flipping out. Then I remembered about a year ago when Joe and Tom were making a movie here, and the place felt spooked afterwards. Like movies leave ghosts or spirits, plus the sensation of being watched, of watching or being watched doesn't stop when the film runs out. First I shut the door across the window. It's cold. I'm shivering. But then I open it. I don't like to lose the light. The windows are so dirty and spotted. Outside looks like an old-fashioned painting. I don't like paintings, but this one. The Christmas interview is sitting on the table. Carter calls to arms. To Russia with hate. He asked me if I'd be home at one, so I called him collect at 20 past. Said we'd meet at the 5th and 2nd Ave. Walked into the vicious bodega. Two women from there beat Christine up. Two months I'd walk in there, drunk, buy some Marlboros, say, you hate women. You do. Once the ugly one raised a baseball bat from behind the counter. Go ahead. All these guys were standing around. We stared at each other for a moment. Then I left. We walked into the bodega last night at 1.30, and he went for the freezer, pulled out two red and white sixes of bud in cans. I love men. If we're going to drink, we're going to drink. Big solid hand going for two sixes, pulling them down on the counter, picking up the bag and going out the door. Stayed up till about five. We've got Susan's TV for a week. Talking, watching Joe Franklin move termite celebrities around seats, asking asshole questions, never wondering what the answer might be. Still a dream of mine to be on a talk show. Couldn't you be on because you always wanted to be a guest? Still, I'd need an agent to do my explaining. 
So nice to see them yesterday. Big floppy house, all their paintings like messy Gertrude Stein, smoking his Chesterfields, drinking her beers. We go and get more we go out and get more of everything. A conversation always unfinished. The Truman Capote piece I was telling you about is is in this red and green interview. We were watching TV, some old movie we didn't see but kept flickering while we talked. How everything's equal since I've been fucked over worse by women than men, almost more because it hurts more. A woman uses you because you let her in so naturally, never expected. It's just chess. I learned so much. Women per se, men per se. Everything feels equal, trust per se. You walk away thinking, what a great man, what a great woman, how really nice they are, in or by itself, intrinsically. No such thing. You make a hole in the weave if you expect anything to be something through and through. There, I've gotten to explain it. You look at people. They look at you. Sure, it's like, have you been a Catholic? Someone wants you to be a machine or else they think it's just a passing phase. Lesbian, per se. For their benefit, I should be a mannequin. No, I never think of fucking men. They're never cute. I think they smell, etc. <laughs> then you don't talk to them and it gets worse like nobody's real. I mean, I am a dyke, per se, but unless I squelch all my ambiguities, be like a guy who won't admit another guy is cute or he'd be a faggot. Oh, no. Well, I don't care. I just intend to carry on. I'm not going to worry about my persuasions or everyone's intentions. I just know how real I am. Honestly, money in the bank. The phone's half off. The power's going off tomorrow. I'm unemployed. So is Marchard. I owe the woman in the bakery 465. I'll have to be flirty when I come back. I owe Mario across the street 359. I owe Vince upstairs two bucks. I owe Bruce next to her ten dollars. Philip downstairs five dollars. Greg five. Rose twenty five. Andy five. Richard five. Ted Greenwall five. Vicky fifteen. Helene a hundred. Gertie a hundred and fifty. Susan a hundred and ten. Dee Dee a dollar. Lots of dollars. So many dollars I can't remember. So many dentists, two, and of course the Harvard Coop, thirty dollars. I woke I woke up with no Tampex, blood streaming through my jeans, so I took them off and I'm walking around like a giant thirty year old baby woman with an olive green towel between my legs. <laughs> Fell back to sleep that way with my diaper on. Rashard goes down and gets the mail, a rebate check from the Harvard Coop for two forty one. Breakfast, Tampax. I pack my jeans with toilet paper and the two of us stroll to the check cashing place. The guy shakes his head at my teeny endowment. Deducts his and I get 201. I shake my head. Rashad suggests we go to the certified on 2nd Ave where we can get everything and probably steal. Turns out it's the associated. But the fuck's the difference? So I don't point it out. Cram Tampax down my jeans. Buy some eggs. Rashad's got a taste for ham, she says, so we try shacks. Too dear. Spanish place on 6th and 1st has cheap ham. Two rolls at the bakery, 40 cents. We've got 16 cents left. Heat up the rest of the coffee. I do the eggs. She does the ham. Everything's great. Sun streaming onto our roaring breakfast. Butter, salt, pepper, everything being wolfed down by two lesbians per se. With a cat countlessly assaults the trash bag. And Rashad hurls her across the room. Once or twice. We let the cat, little Andy, lick our dishes on the floor. The coffee's all gone. We'd love another pot. And I also suggest a big, tall glass of good orange juice. She agrees. Would you like a glass of ice water? Okay. I'm washing the glasses, setting them up, dropping ice cubes into the tall iced tea glass and the shorter, broad beer mug. I set them out. We're sitting in the sun, drinking our water. I'm smoking. Rashad's talking about really quitting today. I should, too, I prefer, since I have no idea where the next pack is coming from. But I love to smoke. She'll probably quit, at least for a while. Ula hasn't called yet. 
Rashad's going to do it today since I'm gushing blood and want to stay home and be cozy and warm. If Ula hasn't called by now, it's quarter to three, so we lose $15. Start planning the other afternoon. She goes to the refrigerator, pulls out a couple of beers. A six wound up left from last night. Our future... The phone rings. Rouchard's chugging her beer. I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. Do you think I should have another? Maybe she should bring a couple. Ula would like one. Would that be cool? No, don't do, don't do that. So I get to get one now. There. Pop. That's all our times falling into each other. Rouchard's still putting on her brown leather gloves. I mean, Chris. She's, she's looking English, French, American, lesbian, not dyke. There's a difference, at least right now. I'm looking at her standing there, looking at her in her orange construction boots and everything else dark. I'm really adoring her as she's leaving, and by the second she's getting more and more beautiful. Look at her eyes, all green and golden brown and gigantic, and those unreal eyelashes. Two are caught between her nose and her eyes are just sitting there, and you know how people who really love you, who you irritate, are always coming over and picking something off you. Well, I can't even tell her I like those two lashes just where they are. Her entirety goes out the door. Eileen's entirety is lying on the couch watching TV, waiting for them to turn us off. Thank you. So, some poems now. Poems. And that particular girl, girlfriend um, liked theater, and so I started writing plays, always being like a good partner. <laughs> like, um, and so I, we had a play called Joan of Arc, a Spiritual Entertainment, and she was the star. <laughs> and I wrote this poem for that play. Today, May 30th, Joan of Arc was burned. She was 19, and when she died, a man saw white doves fly from her mouth. Joan was born in 1412 between Lorraine and Champagne. Joan was raised on legends. Merlin said France would be lost by a woman and saved by a virgin. Joan was not an adventurous girl, not a tomboy, but very dreamy, good, stay-at-home, the baby of the family. Joan never got her period. She heard these voices in the bell. She saw angels in colored glass. She believed the sun moved around the earth because that's what she saw. She believed God wanted Charles VII to be king of France because that's what Michael, Catherine, and Margaret told her when she listened to the bells. Her father said he'd drown her if she didn't stop this nonsense. She was 19 years old when they burned her body in the middle of town while she was still alive. A white dove came out of her mouth as she died. 548 years ago today, a dove leaped right out of her mouth. And this is called... I'm going to sort of skip around era-wise. This is called uh, Wax and Wayne. Stars were glowing tonight like all the paranoia in the universe. The air was chill, though it's early March, but that makes sense, doesn't it, love, doesn't it? And a $5 bill is cold upon my ass. My blood is cold, footsteps shattering the stairs up to my level, then past it. I only want a place in the line. I don't want it to stop with me or start with me. Really, I don't want it to know I'm here at all. I only love what finds me invisible and touches me deeply. Cold does that. That's how I love the vanishing winter. I used to count breaths in the night. One night I counted the church bells falling into a marsh and growing silent. It was two days before I discovered boys, and tonight is two days after. 
I feel like a woolen sock on a line rippling. The season doesn't care about me and I'm using it without its permission. It's the new God, the one that doesn't know about me at all, who misses me in movies, restaurants, who doesn't count my wheels spinning, who could count silence. That's the one I love. Loneliness sharpens into something sweeter. My sadness is sharpening themselves. Christian thorns, you bet. Apples, bananas, particularness, which doesn't exist at all. Is a bird too big for churches? So churches grow as good as movies, restaurants, silence is running tonight to get hot coffee, to smoke, to breathe. Everyone's going home to someplace. Me too. Love creates loneliness. I never knew that before. Television is what the night eats. I eat some soup, some bread, old black coffee, we're heated like favorite shoes. You're like a fireplace, I just want to be around. Five bucks chill upon the ass, I think I'll buy the morning and some of the afternoon. Oh, pink tulips, two yellows, the length of this room, peaceful cats, outside it's cold. Damn it, whatever happened to spring? She comes before the other, don't you know? You know, primavera, get it? Get it? Get it? I can stand in back of anyone I want, man or woman. And anyone who wants to stand in back of me is welcome. In fact, they can stand in front of me if they know how to do it. Do you get it? I think we are an army of trees. When I tripped, I only wanted to sit down. Everything was moving so much. Catholic poets only pray no matter what they say. If I'm really vain and I could propose to jump back into the pool, just like it was a room, like I'm not a stupid feather on an immense wing, love's taught me a loneliness I never imagined. This side of the hallways, I don't know, smokier? I always thought I really loved Dante, but now I know what he meant. Mark says nine represents chaos. Dante thought nine was the music of the spheres. Mark is a musician, and if you draw a line between those two guys, I would call it history, hang a sock or two like me. Affluence is holding out a dollar and receiving exactly what you want. I call that economics. When I say television, you know exactly what I mean. I call that a modern idea or word. Television, get it? Let's do it again. Time. Take the word breast. Take tit. What gets erotic is which word you prefer. What gets warm is speechless. The cold things are easy to enumerate. Stars, paranoia, ideas under blankets. Kiss my teeth. If a woman wakes up remembering her dreams and she tells her lover and she doesn't lie at all and the next day the lover dreams something entirely different and all day both lovers think about each other's dreams and go and have different dreams the next night and they just enjoy telling the dreams each morning with their coffee. If a cat nibbles on flowers, I lift it off the table and make it stop because it's ugly. Dreams are some kind of flowers and when I pour coffee into my cup this morning, for example, and I feed the cats the stuff I wouldn't eat, I go to the bank, I drink some coffee <clears throat> at Benny Bonds, stuff with real pieces of orange in it. I drink a real big glass of the stuff. The New York Post has one article about peace, one about terrorism. A guy in Weehawken is, is watching the Ten Commandments on television. Boom! A Cuban storefront explodes while Moses is receiving the tablets. Let's call that channel religion or science fiction. Then the New York Post has an article about shaping up. I'm always thinking about that, and I suppose my body reforms accordingly. Lover, lover, here's a flower. It doesn't think. It's like my mother. I wasn't interested in the newspaper. It was something I needed to hold. All the time I have dreams that could have happened. No more orange juice, or someone turns to me and speaks a line I just wrote, and I wonder if they read a poem of mine lying on my desk, or am I dreaming, or I don't know, maybe there's different flowers in the vase from when I fell asleep. Well, I don't live alone, so there's no reason to be surprised that different flowers are in the same vase. When I dream, I dream nothing extraordinary. That's what I'm trying to say. If something's broken, maybe the cat did it. The wooden counter at Binnie Bonds is more interesting than the newspaper, but if I sat here reading the counter, I'd look like an asshole. Reading a little bit from each article, I read like a bird. I used to read like a horse until I went to college. 
I felt all that knowledge coming at me through a screen. Television fills the silence. I pay my check and leave a tip. The word is at the end. It's the thing's dead body. Words of the baby Bertolt Breck. No, oh, please, pick up your grilled tomato and cheese. I please eat it. I didn't mean what I said. All week long, I've seen nothing but lilacs. Up and down Lexington Avenue, St. Mark's Place, through windows of classy restaurants. But there's nothing classy about lilacs. They used to line the trees on the street where I lived. Children in spring nights bringing home big armfuls, marching up twilight spring nights carrying purple lilacs home to mothers waiting on screen porches. 19th century flower books, book says lilac, purple, first emotions of love. Surprised me, I expected death, something melancholic and fading. I'm so taken by these flowers these days, days expanding and shrinking, so I'm, I'm sure I'm no form at all, just your eyes and my stupidity. Some people are so sure they aren't loved, they'll throw themselves to the task of being hateful. If only I could buy some lilacs on a full moon night and run here panting and wild, be something perfect that doesn't count and change. But I grew up where lilacs were free, didn't everyone? So I just watched them all spring in restaurants and flower shops, full and soft as the lights go down, the moon comes up, and another season starts shouldering in. But the purple lilacs are the most beautiful, and I will always love you. So that was the 70s. (laughs) So I think this is the 90s. It's called shh. I don't think I can afford the time to not sit right down and write a poem about the heavy little white rose I held in my hand. I hold in my hand. I think of snow. A winter night in Boston, drunken waitress stumble on a bus that careens through Somerville, the end of the line where I was born. An old man shaking me. He could have been my dad. You need a ride? Wait, he said. This flower is so heavy in my hand. He drove me home in his old blue Dodge, a thermos next to me, cigarette packs on the dash, so quiet like Boston is quiet, Boston in the snow. It's New York, plates are clattering on St. Mark's Place. Should I call you? Can I go home now and work with this undelivered message in my fingertips? It's summer. I love you. I'm surrounded by snow. <laughs> now... This one's called November. I, think this is, I don't really have to tell you when these are all from, but this is, I guess this is the 80s. Nice. It's a nice thing. Okay, I'll do it. Um, and the two poems ago, there was a reference to Binny Bonds, which was this amazing, this was rest- in, 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 in like early East Village, it was like, there were like two restaurants that were ever open and you would have these huge hangovers and you'd go out for breakfast and you'd go to Benny Bonds and that was just like this kind of healthy breakfast place. But the famous story about Benny Bonds and how it closed, which is so horrible, was when Norman Mailer um, discovered Jack Abbott. There was like a, a, a guy, like a lifer who was in jail for murder and, and he was a writer and, and Norman Mailer got all into him and stuff and they became friends and he made the capital punishment case and got Jack Abbott out of prison. So Jack Abbott comes to the East Village, goes to Benny Bonds um, and Am I going to ruin my story? <laughs> I'll, t- I'll just tell, just go direct. Um, and so he goes to Benny Bonds and he's having breakfast and he gets up at some point because he has to go to the bathroom and there's like a young waiter standing there and he says to the waiter, where's your bathroom? And the, and the waiter goes, we don't have one. And Jack Abbott stabs him and kills him. And the waiter died and the restaurant closed. And the worst, most punk rock detail about the East Village at the, so- the time was they didn't have a bathroom and everybody, every time somebody told the story, they were like, yeah, that always pissed me off that they didn't have a bathroom. <laughs> it was like... 
little, little social history. <laughs> it's called November. Because I'm sure that nothing lasts, I have to be very sure where I am. I can hear the dripping of the faucet and the cries of little birds outside, and I have to be very sure that I love, because I'll never live like this again, and I'm sure that I love. I'm sure I'm closing in on something. The building isn't making that angle a light for me, but I can see it. It silences the cat, but it doesn't silence me. That's why I let the cat be around. My landlord doesn't think my way. I couldn't be like that. I'm sure that I love. Obviously, my heart lies clenched in my fists. I must be thinking or feeling this way. This poem is bad. It wants to think or tell about how it's felt, but it just seems to beat along between punches and silence. I have to be very sure where I am. I'm telling you so. But it weren't for telling I'd be left with the plumbing and birds where I am, but I'm telling you so. I thoroughly respect the birds because they're not even listening. I do. I like them a lot for their poverty and lack of thought. I love myself and I love a dubious gift, and I guess I need those fucking pipes. Simplicity, that's that. I guess I love you and I need you, love telling you that. I have to be very sure where I am, listening and waiting. I wish you'd call and tell me something. My landlord wants to know where I'm at, but I'm telling you that nothing lasts. It doesn't silence me, but it silences the cat. I have to be very sure where I am. <laughs> Guys, okay. um, this is definitely... Um, this is called debate, a debate with a glove. And I don't have to tell you a story, do I? Like in grade school, there were like the kids who were good at I was one of the kids who was good at There was a boy who drew war things, and that was John Higgins. And then there was a girl who drew horses, and there was me who drew faces. We were like the art kids. So <laughs> they just keep coming back for years, these people. I don't know what they're doing. A debate with a glove. John Higgins, Mary McCluskey, what about them? I flashed my palm and wagged it. This, the personality is the site of spiritual advancement. What about my book, Spirituality and Sexuality? That's all. Make the young dogs play. Make the young dogs pay. A play is an opportunity to do something visual. My vision. Here, let me straighten these shirts. Eileen spoke so well about the creative process. Maybe she would like to do it again. What about those monuments? The beggar and the priest. The weight of my cunt. Let me walk the streets of Baghdad. Are these breasts mine? What kind of problem is a poem? We don't get to choose what kind of spiritual experience we have. We don't get to choose our orgasm. We don't even get to choose our love or what happened to me. Who was she? Are they bed bugs? Take me to Delhi fast. I itch. At five, my soul wants to be alone with the world and its armies, with my sex, with my hands, with my beautiful hands. She had been turned into a deity in the end. First she vanished, then she was that. I know what kind of god I'd like to be, a blue god, a blue god man. Those men, they make me want to dance. Tell me something else. Was I married? Have I been here before? Why am I always in between? Is it late or is it early? Money, I could give a shit. Fame, forget it. An authenticity that rattles my bones. Is it two of everything or one? Is it none? I'm sorry we went to war with you and broke your bridge. I'll fix it now. Really? Should we get married or something? I'm very smart. Oh, you don't think so? Well, maybe I'll write a poem. Suddenly I don't care that I'm going to die. Even the bed keeps me awake. The breeze of the world. It opened my jar. It called me home. It said, Lucifer. <laughs> right.
most satanic. Which uh, is sort of another religious poem, kind of. Yeah, this is good. I think this is good. It's called Life. My sense of preservation, a gift born to me by my mother through the days of her world, has led me to wrap bread. For some reason, poverty seems to be. I'm not particularly broke today, but it just poverty is just up for me tonight. My sense of pre- preservation, a gift born to me by my mother through the days of her world, has led me to wrap bread in plastic. Occasionally, fruit a lime may a lime may sit split in the spatted refrigerator door. They had to dry and get like plastic, but never bread. Bread must live. I wish, I wish I had a collection of plastic things to put all other things in, little bits of food that I would keep longer, eat later. But not living food like tomatoes. No, I mean bread. Why do I fear the demise of bread so much? It's drying up and hardening. Surely I think it's some kind of body. Bread's so cheap and so is flesh, really. There's so much of a daily marching through the streets of my world. But is it my world, really? I'm just another loaf of bread and shoes marking time. I sat on a stoop this afternoon in front of a camera trying to make a glowing impression that would last and travel far, an important crumb. When I read books, I think of my Kant. If it's about love of God, the harder I get. I better clean some things up, I think, putting the corpses of the things I eat onto little shelves. I shut the door and the light goes out. I am God. Um, this is called School of Fish. Thank you. <laughs> Everything's equal now. Blue leash, blue bike, blue socks covering my ankles today. What about my friend? I never wear socks. For a week or two, she lived in the streets, and it was such an illumination. What's this human addiction to light? One morning, I dreamt about homelessness, joked about it. Life reduced or expanded to getting doggy her very next can. Dog's inexcusable addiction to eating. At the bottom of the sea, David said, the fishies are inexcusably addicted to light. Same day, I and my dog were left on the street. No home, no keys, streams of pouring gray rain. Now, what is this gray in relationship to blue? As some painter, is it less light or is it what? What kind of hat should I have worn yesterday in my crisis? The dog's blue, the dog's blue leash was gone. My feet reaching over the bounds of the sidewalks, its curbs and waves, pavement splashing up hard and gray. Where did I see that man? Someplace so human, they even had one of them in a dark blue t-shirt laughing. There's nothing to my anecdote, my predicament, my color crisis. There's nothing but blue and gray. A glint hits a golden key, and it's a bad one, not the original. And I kept turning and turning. There were copies everywhere in the neighborhood. That's what I'm trying to say. I simply walked, and the apologies kept coming, streaming in. And I said I simply walked, and the tree turned, or the key, and the bottom of the sea is flooded with light. We just get used to it. The deeper and deeper we go, and the hotter it is to turn the key. And eventually we go, and it is very, very dark. We just get used to the light, but the blues and the grace and the feelings of lostness. It's like home. It's like family. Mm-hmm. Guys. Mm. So this one's called Merc. It's kind of... Somebody said, I'm going to set my alarm for a half hour. When it goes off, you better shut the fuck up. <laughs> I heard that. That's what I felt. Mm. <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? Huh. Oh, she left. 
Huh? Okay, so this is called Merck. I already said that. It's M-E-R-K, too. I don't know. I can't remember what the title was from, but... There's too much light in my life. There, that's better. The street people recommend, don't let your brother fling his leg and arm around you like you're his girlfriend. Hump on your kneecap, stuff like that. The vilest smell of all tonight is human food. It's November when the moons switch places. White is bad, black is good, food stinks. Carrying their buckets of soup to their stupid abodes, furs around their necks, beasts. What do humans eat? Dogs, more or less. Ripping fruit from the vine, snipping the crop. Maybe vegetables would like to let their baby be too and never, never eat the human. That is a crime. Push my machine. The whole thing about having a collection of poems from all these different is that technology keeps hitting you in the face. Oh, it's machine. Oh, we're, in, we're in the answering machines now, you know? Or it's like typewriters and telephones. Push my machine to see what Nazi called me. Go out and kill her with my teeth. I'm a bored outsider. The season is cold. Everywhere doors are slamming. And look who you're in the room with now. Someone to eat, I hope. Think of Goethe, Werner Goethe, with his leg flung up on a rock in Italy. Take a bite of that fat calf. He's like a big posing gondola. What's the idea? Every poet I know is a partial artist. The lucky ones are dead, naturally incomplete. But look at everyone you can think of hanging on to some misapprehended particle of modernism, all plumped up with pillows. There's nothing after a modern idea for poets. All they do is think and eat. If you call that making something, and I don't, I don't call that art. We must offer ourselves up as food or eat someone. If you can make there be less of someone else or someone can take a bite out of you, then you can join in the incompletion or excess of your age. I'm sick of seeing dunces celebrated. That's the job. Someone that looks good in ribbons. Someone surrounded by their editor's arms. Love object of a lesbian, but not being one. Particle board, potential screenplay, plastic hair, translates well. Millions will hold you on the train. Bite me now. Bite me forever. And you're too strong. Oh, eat me. Read me something. I am the daughter of substitution. My father fell instead of the dresser. It was the family joke his death. Not a suicide, but a joke. How could I accidentally get eaten? Slipping into your sandwich or refrigerator, sort of a dick that crawls up from the bottom of your ice cream cone. (laughs) It's too late for some of us, but for others, it's never late enough. Tonight, when they moved the lights and everything looked completely horrible for a change, I was looking for sympathy and you asked me for the menu. I have escaped the unseemly death of the alcoholic, yet I keep my ear so close to the ground and I know what they know. I began to smell funny, another fate. It was as if I was falling last night, but I imagined myself a bit of food, and I was safe in your mouth, and I would never die. It is the legacy of my family to change in the air and smash as something new. Not a woman, but a chair full of flowers. Not a poet, but a donut or a myth. Go up there and get me a cracker, darling. And proudly, I walked. I won't, I mean, it's just like we're at, at the end almost, I think, right? It feels right. It's hot here. Um, but which end is the question? Um, no. It's like not the end, end, but this is pretty close to the end. Um, I want to get a little happy. Tonight. Just for the fuck of it, my arms are stripes. I fling them upwards to be part of it. Trees to be one with all the things in the world. Sap. Rockets going up. 
I'm pink and shiny round, a pale face. I'm a pearl. Hear my silence in the ponds of the world. See my name come dripping out of my mouth like fish drip out from my circle. Hey, just for once I felt the thing rising and the rockets of my fame to pull in the limbs, my roots, quit the community, find my f- sandals, walk, save myself. Millions of candles know our distance, flower magic, hits of light dropping down the trees of my game. Everywhere is a kind of travel. Every distance is me, you, when I go. In the woods a deer is moving. Call me crunchy leaves, starry night, mammy. The ringing sounds of your hoofs in the light in the woods tonight. You just can't help it. You have to apply. It was just like, that was a great poem. So this is almost the last poem, but this is, would be a really great last poem, but I'm not. It's called No, it's called no, no. And it's not, it's just like, basically, it's like, it's like, yes, without all the positive baggage. And it's like, <laughs> don't. Look, I don't know about getting things back. A woman stands in a room, and it's winter. She sees herself. There are three hot things to tell her lover. Soon the day changes shape. Not this bird, but it's different. The box stays, the room in her head. Soon both heat and winter are gone. I want to live in my thoughts of you. I believe in you like a door that returns. Yes, a little joy. It's like, we're almost out of here. W F, what the fuck? Is that what it means? No. 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 Milk, bones, goodness. Okay, this we're okay, there's two a, a blues and then a poem and then that's it. I'm just having such a good time, I can't like really. Okay, this is the blues, and this is just totally when I was my my when Allen Ginsberg was alive, we would go and see Alan Reed all the time. And he was like, as he got older and older, he just had all these tricks. Like he had the harmonium, and he was singing. But I was like, why is he doing this, you know? <laughs> so here I have a poem called Harmonica. This is my blues. I've been listening to blues lately. They just make so much sense. Don't want to put my glasses on because I don't want to see. Don't want to move again because I don't want to live. Don't want to love again because I don't want to lose. Don't want to eat again because I don't want to be full. Don't want to drink again because I don't want to feel quenched. Don't want to sleep again because I don't want to wake up. Don't want to live in the summer again because I don't want to be hot. Don't want you to kiss me again because I don't want to be alive. Don't want you to see me again because I don't want to vanish. Don't want to ride my bike because I don't want to get there. Don't want to know my family anymore because I don't want to remember me. Don't want to walk my dog because I don't want to be out. Don't want to stay in anymore because I don't want to be alone. Don't want to be tired anymore because I don't want to feel old. Don't want to eat candy anymore because I don't want to feel sweet. Don't want to talk to my friends anymore because I don't... This is really scary. It was like the, my stock... The person with the knife kind of rushes out. I was like, okay. I died sad and happy. I was just... Don't want to talk to my friends anymore because I don't want them to know me. I don't want to sing anymore because I don't want to hear me. Don't want to die anymore because I don't want to see God. Don't want to live anymore because I don't want to repeat. Something. Okay. This is just just one final poem. It's called Scribner's. You know, like, what was that? I know, it's like, get that guitar out. Yeah, I know, I want that. Uh, it's not going to happen. I got, it's like my intestines or something. Um, okay, so this is, I, uh, this was, well, as you know, these all, all these beautiful old buildings in the world, like, still have the paint on them of these other former businesses, and it's just part of the urban, I was living in Midtown, 
at a certain point in time. And so I just would like look up and it would say Scribner's and you could hardly read it and it was so great. There's a little more going on here than preservation. Your water tower against the sky, your faded message. Two windows mucking up the S and the I. Still I know it was 43rd Street where I badly slept with you. My memory, I was perfect then. There's more than that that's going on. Just breathing is rotting. Everything is burning and I'm probably madly in love with you. But it's her I'm leaving tonight or me and my lousy lies. So lolling around in another another lost home with your camera, checking perfection before you got film, and now I don't want those damn pictures. The Teletubby transfixed, nailed to some scaffolding on 42nd Street, the poking tower over the dirty parking lot wall with the yellow stripe. That's right, I'm not Mr. Teletubby. It was sad. Every time we took a picture, this is a relationship. Click. This is a relationship. If my cover is an illustration of me and so is my writing an observation of truth, not it. Fucking scaffolding, right? Fucking burning alive. Spring is so perfect tonight because outside in the real house the birds are shamefully true, hopping under the hokey sidewalk furniture, shitty captured flowers looking droopy. Rosie just wants to put her belly on some cool cement. Does. I do this, appear to be a bum in my hiking boots and hairy legs. I'm no longer a dyke, just a man. Hello, little bird. (laughs) Wow. Wow, right? Wow. Wow. And she's been kind enough to answer questions. Anyone have any questions for Eileen? Hello. Hi. Hi. Do you have any plans uh, to develop any of your uh, writing into films or motion picture? Um, vaguely, certainly, surely, but not absolutely. Yeah. That's such a good question. Yeah. What's that? I'm interested. Yeah. Talk to me afterwards. <laughs> With your big contract. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Any other questions? Mm. Hi. Woman with dog. It's so great. Yeah, I'm a fan. I, I do not smoke. I do not. I, I try. I stop. I, this is. This is like. I'm, I am definitely the kind of writer that gets these kind of questions. I think this is so great. I'm like. I'm more like shaman poet. I was like, how's your heart? You know. It's like. Um, yes. I. I mean. I started. A, I started to quit smoking as soon as I, I started smoking at 15, and then I um, smoked off and on to about 33 and then I mostly mostly have stopped for like 30 years but then I at various times I would cheat for five years in this bad relationship every time he turned her she turned her back I'd smoke you know and just had various kinds of um, and then finally I realized and this is like the great thing I share with anybody who's trying to quit smoking that like when you don't smoke um, all you want to do is smoke and when you smoke all you want to do is quit and then finally it's just wiser to be on the the side of the line where you want to smoke but you don't smoke so that's my advice it's just like yeah just yeah any more life questions hi could you talk a little more about the influence Al Ginsberg had on you and that community and you and you on him as well and how that was operating at the time 
Oh. Well, I think that, you know, the young feed the old. There's you know, two ways about it. So I think when I met, I met him when I was 25 or 26, and I was at some reading. I was reading at the New York and Poets Cafe, the earlier version. And it was basically, it was like him and Burroughs and all of them were there, but it was because the young New York and Poets were so hot. You know, so it was basically, they were there for the boys, and we were there for them, kind of was the way it worked. But I read a poem, and Allen Ginsberg actually ran up to me and said, "Who are you?" You know, and um, and I and I think that, but he the way he was was so amazing was that he immediately re- tried to move you into his sexual family, and so even though it was abundantly clear that I was a dyke, he tried to get me to date his boyfriend, and I was like, "Okay," he <laughs> yeah, was like, "Allen Ginsberg, whatever you want," and it just it didn't work out, you know. But um, but he was so great because he would always say to you, like, so you dating anybody? And you'd say, yeah. And he would say, are you monogamous? And I'd say, no. And he'd say, good. <laughs> he was just like the ultimate, the incredible uncle of the family you always wanted to be in, you know? So he was, I mean, but I was like, as a public poet, he just made it. It was always, I mean, he, as long as he was in New York, it was like him and Andy Warhol. It was just that moment where it's like, if one of them were at the event, you felt like, oh my God, I'm at an event. You know, so they had this way of giving to the neighborhood just by their absolute presence. And, and this complete, endlessly interested in what was going on. Like, he wanted to know what was going on. And, and so it was, he was kind of incredible. And, and, I, and I've so always wanted to be like him, but I'm not. You know, I'm sort of like hiding and exhausted and, you know, whatever, but <laughs> off and on hungry, you know. So, hi. You such like a cool rhythmic pace when you read aloud. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you ask a hot question too. Huh? <laughs> 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 I'm just wondering, like, what's the relationship between, like, how the words sound in real life and like how you write them? Hmm. But the real life. God, where's that? I mean, huh. I, I, you know, I just don't know. All I know is that, like. One thing I've gotten permission to do after years of reading poetry is read them the way they sound to me. Because the thing is, they don't come... Like, even when you're writing, you don't write... Well, once in a while, you write, you know, and those poems sound that way, you know, and, and, and certainly, you know, you've heard, you hear other people read, and that teaches you, everybody gets the idea, like that poetry sound, the night, incredible, perfect, dog, you know, and it's just like, every word is perfect, you know, and it's just like, we don't hear words like that, so that seems insane, but, um, but I remember hearing David Wanarovich read, and he read so fucking fast, and I remember just being inspired by that, because part of me reads really fast, and I thought, I don't care if I get all of his words. I just love the absolute rhythm of David. But then later I learned that it's like lots of things, you know, you write a, you write a stanza or a line and then you pause, you know, and then you write some more and, and all that pause is part of the composition. So the thing that's been really fun over the years is realize that I have earned my silence, you know, and so if I'm reading a poem and I just hear this stop, like I give it a stop and then of course I'm like, I don't know what else to do, I'm like shaking my body, you know, and stuff and all that stuff too, I just feel like I just am like this, like, having sex with some invisible body, which is like the inside of the poem, you know? But it's like, I just feel like, you know, the longer you go along, the weirder you get. But part of it is manifesting the sound that I hear that I want to get out, and I don't care what I look like in a way, you know, because it's all, it's like this kind of voice track, and, you know, and, and the poem sort of began when I heard it somehow, and so the reading thing is about getting that out and making that be communal, which is, which is what I love. So, thanks. Um, hi. Hi, Jim Hoffer. <laughs> Thank you for a kick-ass reading, first of all. You're welcome. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the experience of a retrospective book like this and the way that it makes you go back into 
languages you used to speak at different times in your life, in ways you used to think, and images you used to live in, and how that has or has not affected the way you're writing now. Huh. You probably just had to reread a whole bunch of stuff you maybe didn't reread that, or maybe you did. No, see, I feel like, I mean, like the joke about this book really is that years ago somebody asked me for some poems to be translated. Somebody was doing an anthology of American female poets in in Italian, you know, and it was just like, somehow that was just, it was so easy to know which poems I would want to have in Italian. I was like, yeah. You know, it was just like, I know what ones those are and it's like insane, you know. And so that was like just the core of of this book and then it just kept building and, and, you know, so I don't know, it just, I mean, like, I, I think just the funniest thing about this book coming out is it came out during um, Mercury Retrograde, which was really good for me, you know, it's sort of like, if something's coming back, it's best for it to come back when everything is going backwards so you can go forward, so I feel like I've had a little bit of a moment with this book, but it's totally because of Mercury Retrograde, so, um, but otherwise, I don't know, it's just like a thing, it's the thing too, I mean, I just, is, is that you just wind up in the same way that you write the poem and then you have this problem which is the whole rest of your life and when you're going around reading a book of poems from all these other times in your life you just don't get off the hook when you, when the reading is over I feel like I'm just going hi Amy everybody's here I just I feel like I just keep going through all this shit and remembering all these people and having strange and then of course literally because it got reviewed in the Boston Globe I have heard from more people from high, high school ever <laughs> you know so it's just like the thing that other people were like I hate Facebook everybody call everybody gets in touch with me you know I was like nobody from high school I was like nobody from high school school ever got in touch with me but when I got reviewed in the Boston Globe it was like they were all like Lena Miles you know I was like ah you know it's like so it's just like you kind of jerked back and forth in the past but it's like you know it's like if it was a part of the past I hated it wouldn't I wouldn't have put it in the book so it's all kind of old friends and I mean the weirdest thing too is just that you have to edit like the books the books are like records you know that they have an order that you feel really like part of the meaning of the book has become the order. And then when you muck that up, you have to create this other order. So it's like it's like sampling your own work, which is which is intense but interesting. Yeah. So maybe that's that feels like a sort of it, but is there one more genius? That's you. <laughs> or two geniuses. Okay, cool. Yeah, in some form, but a lot of it is just like is like this, you know, like I just write in the little notebooks all the time and, you know, like teeny, teeny little poems lately. And um, and then I, I started having a, a Tumblr, which I was told I should do, you know. So I said, I mean, it's basically a place to throw my review. I was like, what do you do? It's, you don't want to endlessly tell your friends, about, like, I got a review, I got a review. So I just keep putting them, and then sort of apologetic asides in between kind of about gender and travel, which is a nightmare, right? You know, because like the airport is like the most Nazi place in the world. And there's a person over here. That, a lot of the poems are I write or what? Really? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, do they represent something more to you than what we generally think of a bird? I mean, I actually don't. I mean, I just really, they're just like I think they're literal bird. I love birds, and I actually I think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have a really great... I mean, I live near a cemetery in New York, and there's birds... I mean, I have more birds than most people in New York have outside their windows, I think. So I live with birds. Yeah, there's something about... I don't know. I like birds. Don't you? I'm, birds are great. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, oh, wait a second. The, 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 the final... What do, you, what do you think of Los Angeles? And I, and I, and I realized as I asked that I'm really asking, what do you think of us? <laughs> right. 
I think you're amazing. I think you're amazing. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.